Okay, good afternoon everyone. It's great to see you all. So we have come to the end of the Philippian series, which is crazy. We started in January. I feel like we could um, still have preached like a hundred different sermons from it. Um, it's, I, I, love, um, I love how the Word of God does this. I think when we, when we get to this place, there is something in us that, that should cause us to like, grow in our admiration of the Word of God. Here's a letter written 2,000 years ago by a Jewish man in prison in Rome to a church in now modern-day Greece, and we have been able to spend six months opening it up so that the light and the life of God's Word shines into the situation that we are facing today in Dubai in 2023. And, and, I, and that's the whole point of this preaching, is that it should bring about a transformation in our lives. Amen. It's not a TED talk that you listen to and you go home and you go, there was interesting or not interesting, that guy did a good job or a bad job or whatever, but actually that the Word would come and transform us. I did a preach, actually I should save this because I, I should do it again. I took the one time I, I got a whole cop, popcorn seeds and I said to the guys, close your eyes. I think somebody left our church because of this actually and I, and I scattered the seeds like this over, over everybody like this and they closed their eyes and poof, hit them in the face and landed all around them, and I said, that's sometimes what happens when I preach, because when everybody got up after the service, they all walked out the door, there were seeds lying all over the floor, and I said, when we don't come with an anointing to listen, what happens is the seeds that are sown end up just being left upon the floor, and my prayer for us is that this, what we've been through over this six months actually would not just be left on the floor of our auditorium here, but would be carried in your hearts and produce a harvest, the scripture says, 30, 60, and 100 fold. There's some truth about Christ that you've not seen before, that you've put into practice. There's an adjustment you've maybe needed to make in your heart. Something in your priority list shifted like this and has affected the choices you make or the decisions you make with your money or your time or your talents or whatever it is. And that is certainly my prayer. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, and it ends with this, finally, brothers and sisters, and this, um, we've been using this, this imagery from the Spartan race, and I found this one of these two, they obviously they can't be hugging in the middle of the race, they would be rubbish, They've, they can only do this at the end of the race. So they've finished the race, they've crossed the line, and now they're embracing. And in some sense, we've come to the end of this season as we cross the line. There's this holding on to one another and celebrating what God has done and what He's brought us through in this series. And so Paul writes from the ESV, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think of these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, in the same passage, sorry, from another translation, the TLB. I'm not sure what it stands for. I like to think it stands for the loud Bible or tiny little Bible. Who knows what it could stand for? It's probably Tyndale Living Bible or something. It says, And now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one more thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about and keep putting into practice all you learned from me and saw me doing 
and the God of peace will be with you. And so as I said, we've been preaching through this series for six months. We've done, as a team, we've done 21 preachers, um, and it's been amazing to watch what God has unpacked over that time. And uh, I want to just highlight some of those preachers and uh, trust that, that you would be reminded of something that was said that would stir up inside of you so that you can lay a hold of it afresh today for what God has um, is wanting to do in your life. Right at the beginning of the series, I preached on remembering. And remembering is such an incredibly important um, uh, gift that God has given us. There's this amazing quote by Eugene Peterson, who's up on the slides now, that speaks about the fact that unless we keep God, the gospel, and the kingdom at the center of our lives, we can end up living, listen to these words, futile fantasy lives. It's like we're building and we're working and we think that everything that matters um, is, is taking place, but actually it's sandcastles on the seashore. You, suddenly a wave comes in and, and everything you thought you could rely upon or everything that you thought was important is revealed for what it actually is. And so God wants to remind us all the time. We are this flesh and blood and the skin and, and the things that we see around us, the, the things that we can physically touch, they seem like the most important things, but there's a greater, more important reality even than these things. And I think this is it's important for us, whatever generation we are, to be reminded again and again of the reality, the preeminence of God, gospel, and kingdom. And whenever we come together, um, once a week, we, we break bread like we did this morning. I hope you availed yourself to that. We're reminded of what Christ has done. It comes through every single week. We do it every week to remind us. We never, we never want to forget what Jesus has done. When we sing the songs as we gather in the week, when we um, when we give our tithes and offerings, we remind that God is our provider. I'm not going to allow the, the, the God of mammon to, to have control over my life. I'm not going to live in poverty and in fear. I'm, I'm so, I'm, every week, I'm reminded of it. And there's power in remembering. And so God what, puts us into the place and into a rhythm where we can remember things all the time. And um, um, then we went on to speak about a master passion, which connects to this as well. Paul as you can see in this letter, has this overriding passion for his life. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ more than anything else. And friends, I want to say that for us, this has to be our overriding passion. It's easy to look at Paul and go, you know what? Paul was this wild-eyed apostle. He was stoned a few times. His nose was probably pointing east. One of his eyebrows was going in the wrong direction. He, you know, he, like, he, was just, he had nothing else except this. But I've got all sorts of things that I've got going on in my life, all sorts of interests and passions and other things. But underwriting everything in our lives has to be this master passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were singing that song today about um, no matter what land I'm in, I will, I will see the goodness of God no matter what land I'm in. No matter where I've come from and no matter where I'm going, I'll see the goodness of the Lord. And maybe, I don't know what country you come from, um, when you were living there, you can see the goodness of the Lord. If God takes you back there, you'll see the goodness of the Lord. You'll see the goodness of the Lord in this land. If He takes you to another land, even a land as cold as Canada, you'll see the goodness of the Lord there as well. The point is, is that it, it's because we have this master passion for the gospel. Our objective in this life is not the good life. It's not to make sure that we live the best possible life we can live in this life. It's to live the most... Uh, the life that is most passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It should inform your decisions and your choices and the way that you act because there is nothing that we are more passionate about that energizes us more, that brings meaning to our life than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like everything that I'm saying to you, if I had my three kids in front of me today, I'd be, I'd be taking them by the shoulder and saying, listen to what I'm saying. Like, this will change your life. This, I, I wish somebody had told me about debt when I was younger. If I'd just known about the power of debt, the negative power of debt, and the power of not being in debt, it would have changed that financial aspect of my life. These truths will change every aspect of your life. I went on to preach then about the, Jesus at the center. And I made the point that Jesus is at the center of this book. He's at the center of all Paul's theology. Remember that he says, I've, I resolved to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified when I was amongst you. And so right at the center of his theology and the center of our lives has to be Jesus Christ. And uh, I've said this before, Jesus is the bee's knees. He's the, he's the business. He's my hero. He's everything. And I... And I I don't know why, um, I hope you're in love with him as well. I think the most attractive thing about any other human being, and I, I'm obviously not talking about the outer look of them, but the, most, the thing that draws me most to another person is, is somebody that loves Jesus, that is unashamed about their love for Jesus. Like, not love church, not love religion, not love um, even the word, but loves the one that the word points to. Even the Bible, is, it's living and active and beautiful, but its point is to reveal Jesus Christ to us and for us to come to know Him as a person that we fall in love with. And so that beautiful quote by Michael Reeves when he says, for every look at ourselves, let's take 10 looks at Christ. is that a powerful word? For every time we think about ourselves in a situation we're in, um, and, and we're taught in the world today to think about ourselves all the time. We're taught to think about what we look like, what we sound like, the, the impression we're making. And so we pay a lot of attention to ourselves. And actually, that's part of the danger. But when we look at Jesus, even we become more beautiful in our own eyes. We learn to actually love ourselves when we see Jesus. And so Michael Reeves exhorts us to let our souls be filled. Our souls be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and the excellency of Christ and all that is in Him. I could end there, actually. Should we just stop? <laughs> and then we went on to preach about the descent and the ascent of Christ from Philippians 2, that hymn that either Paul wrote or was already around that he inserted into his letter, how God the Son left behind His majesty and gave it all up to become a servant, like to understand what He did in that descent, what He gave up. How much he must, before he had even been incarnated, the decision he made to forsake his majesty and become a human being um, was, uh, is an evidence of his love and of how vast this, this canyon is that we cannot cross except that Jesus made a way for us. And then in his obedience, Jesus now, Jesus both God and man is now, Jesus the man is exalted and forever will be exalted. And when we sing about the lamb that was slain, we sing about Jesus the man who is God, who's been exalted now at the right hand of the Father. We went into, after that, into Philippians 2, 12 and 13, one of those well-worn scriptures for me. And I spoke here about this and path that we're on, that we meet Jesus Christ at one point at the cross and we are saved and it's done and it's, I'm adopted, I've become his son and you become his daughter if you're a lady. And we belong to him now and nothing can ever change that. I'm absolutely 
I'm absolutely convinced that once you are born again, you can never be unborn again and then need to be born again again and unborn again 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 and need to be born again 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 again. Uh, how ridiculous would that be? If you are born again, he who has begun a good work will bring it to completion. And the end of that journey that we are promised for us is glorification. This year, we've, in the couple, last couple of years, we've said goodbye to family members that have passed on and gone to be with the Lord in glory. What a wonder for them to be there. What a wonder that these frail bodies have been cast off, that, every, that this mind that wonders has now been purified perfectly, that everything that causes sin is no longer a part of their lives, and they are face to face with Jesus Christ. And everything that we think we love in this life is but a pale, pale, pale reflection about, compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. And that awaits all of us, and it should fill us with a sense of confidence and excitement, like, like, like friends that can never be taken from you. I, you, know, my, my, you know how much I loved my dad when he was alive? I love him still. He passed on to be with the Lord. My dad got saved at 53, which is the age I'm at right now, and uh, went on to live until he was 87, so another 24 years. But he, he came to the Lord late, and he had a lot of bad habits in his life, and it took a long, there was that process of sanctification there, that working out the salvation took a long time. And there were times that it was difficult for my mom to be married to my dad. And there were, there were I, you know, I, was, my brothers even said to my mom, you should divorce dad. That's what they said. And I said, I said to her, mom, this life is so small. It is so short. You be faithful to God in this marriage. And uh, you, my, my dad was not evil or wicked or anything like that. It was just the difficulties of the marriages and moments. And I said, you be faithful and God will reward you. Friends, we, we've got a glory that God has for us down the line. We can trust Him in this life. And Paul says, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. I want you to take it seriously. And, um, and then we, we, the confidence we have is that He carries us to the end, but that we actually need to cooperate with Him in it. We take it seriously. Don't, don't mess around with your salvation. Because what happens is you end up living subpar lives. You end up without the peace and without the joy that is yours. It's, that is your inheritance is peace and joy. And we, too many Christians are living like beggars on buried treasure. Like there it is. It's there. All you have to do is open it up and take it. And we're just living like we're begging for some peace in our work. Or we're begging for some joy in our marriage. Or we're begging for it in some illicit relationship or some, some, some um, addictive substance. But it's there for us in the person of Jesus Christ. If we will go to him. Then we shifted across and we spoke about the biblical wineskin. We did that for three weeks. And um, the wineskin, I said, is something that we have personally. Like, I have a wineskin. It's, it's a way that I conduct myself, my attitudes and my actions. You do too. There's a family wineskin. There's a local church wineskin. And there's a translocal wineskin. By translocal, I mean, like, here's local. And translocal means bigger than the local. How Local churches are connected. And um, so, like, I think we stood on the devil's tail on this one. Something about this part of the preach made him super mad. And it just unleashed like weeks of attacks from the enemy. And I think it was building up to last week when we were releasing Sajith Michelle to go plant that church. He doesn't want us to do that stuff. He wants us to look inward. In fact, he doesn't even want us to look out into our city. He wants you to... Close the, the walls around you and live safely and, and just live your own life and pay no attention to the people outside you. He would love to take you out, but he can't do that. So if he can shut you up, 
That's what he wants to do. But we call to take the gospel to the nations of the earth. And there's a wine skin that enables us to do that. And so as we went through this time, it was just like one attack or the other. And we, but we, have, we are determined. And in fact, we made more confidence in the knowledge that his attacks are showing us that there's something important going on here. And it's not because the wine skin is beautiful. No one takes a wine skin and starts sucking on the wine skin or licking it like this. It's like, that's old leather. What you want, the whole point of the wineskin is the, the wine. You take that wineskin, you pour it into a glass, and then you swirl it around like this, and you take in the bouquet and the aroma and the cherry flavors and the whatever it is that happens in wine like this. And then you, and then you take a sip, and it runs into your mouth and swirls around and goes down. And The Bible says a glass of wine can make a man joyful. And, uh, and the wine, which is Jesus, comes to us to refresh us, to to heal us, to liberate us, and that's why we care. And then last week I spoke about unity and how profoundly important it is as we battle against this ancient foe that we don't fight each other. Friends, I want to say to you, that's why we do this communion every week. You can't go longer than a week carrying offense or unforgiveness. If you have continued to carry it, seek God to, to, to walk in forgiveness. You're the one that's in prison, not that other person. And if you're carrying offense, you can begin to cause a rupture in your family, in this body, in, or, or any fellowship. You can begin to cause a rupture and a division that is, uh, and now allows the enemy to come in and wreak havoc. And so I want to say you pay attention to that, please. And so now we get to this passage, and Paul says, as I said, finally, brothers and sisters. And you know how I like to highlight and underline in my Bible. And when I, I went to this passage, there were these phrases that stood out, like, think about these things. Practice these things. And in this part of the end, in, in verse um, and whatever that is, 9, where it says the God, and the God of peace will be with you. And I underlined that because it connected, there's a God of peace and just in the verses above it says the, the peace of God. So the peace of God and the God of peace. And those two phrases connect these two passages together. And so Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything. What can you be anxious about? What is, what is okay for us to be anxious about? Nothing. Can we be anxious about cancer? No. Can we be anxious about our finances? No. Can we be anxious about our relationships? No. Look, those things are real. I understand why we become anxious about the things we become anxious about. But here's a command from the apostle in the scriptures that are inspired by the Holy Spirit that says, do not be anxious about anything. Say anything. anything. So there's nothing. And, then he, and, and this is a command of Paul's. This is a command that he gives us. But, but Paul, I'm so grateful for this, doesn't just give us a command and say, I hope you figure out how to do this. He actually gives us the steps that we need to take in order to live this anxious free life. And I felt um, compelled in bringing this message, because I believe this is a season where the enemy is trying to sow anxiety. That it's, it's like, what I felt is this, it's almost like fingers like this going and beginning to, to tickle and find a space and then creep into my, my thinking or creep into my heart like that. Just, just a thin little finger just coming in, creating a bit of anxiety about this, a little bit of anxiety about this. Nothing serious, but there it is. And then it begins to fester and grow inside of us until it becomes something that is overwhelming for us and we're battling with full-blown anxiety or depression or fear or those things and today God wants to break that and at the end of this time I'm going to invite you up here for prayer 
Even if there's just one finger that you've noticed of late, I've been, I've been a little bit more anxious about this or anxious about that. I've, I've been walking in more fear than I normally do. I believe the Lord wants to break that off today. So he, he lists here the things that, uh, that, that we, the steps that we can take. And the time the Philippians were in was difficult times. Paul writes in chapter 1, he says, he speaks about their adversaries. He tells them that they were called to suffer for Christ. And we live in a crazy, crazy world at the moment. Things are turned upside down. It's like there's new cold wars. There's, there's these great enemies, America and Russia and, and China fighting and contending for different territories on this planet. Financial systems are up and down. What, what can we depend upon? How do we know? Should I invest in this? Will I still have money when I want to retire one day? Should I do this? Should I do that? Where should I live? Where's a safe place for me to live? How crazy are those people? How crazy are this people? What do I do? And so anxiety begins to overwhelm us. In fact, once you put up the next slide, what we see is that there's just an incredible increase in anxiety medication. Isn't it amazing? If you look at that, that um, graph, the anxiety disorders by versus GDP, the richer a country gets, the greater the anxiety gets. It's kind of like the more we have, the more, the more um, affluent society we live in, the more anxiety medication is prescribed. And I think with it, anxiety grows up as well. And so Paul reminds us not to be anxious and gives us these steps. Prayer, gratitude, paying attention to what we think about and practicing what we hear. I've been so reminded over the last kind of two months about the power of prayer. I said to you a short while ago, remember my mom had been sick, so she was fine, and then she fell sick really quickly. She had an infection, and it was like she was getting like, like super steroid fast um, dementia. She'd gone from being fine and then two weeks later, she was, she was, it was like she had dementia. The doctors were saying that she needed surgery, but that she was too weak for the surgery, and the surgery might kill her. But she didn't have, if she didn't have the surgery, I don't want to want to. And I felt like I had a promise that my mom had years still left of God's blessing on her. And so one day I just went, I just said, okay, God, I'm going to have to fight for this thing. And I went into prayer, and I just spent, it wasn't like hours, it was one hour I set aside to just pray for my mom. Not for anybody else, not for none of you, not for my children, just my mom for that hour. And I went in, and I prayed, and I warfared for that hour. That afternoon, there was a breakthrough that came. Friends, there is power in praying. I'm not talking about just throwing a prayer out there, although sometimes we do that like Nehemiah did before he came before the king. But there's, there is something about us being able to come in prayer and say, this is what I'm concerned about. This is what is causing me the anxiety. It may be a relationship. It may be, um, it may be a, um, a breakthrough that's needed or, or, or a financial bondage you're in or whatever it is or an addiction. Like you can bring it before God in prayer. There's the truth is that sometimes nothing matters more than prayer. It's, it's the action that does the most. <laughs> you know, I, I share this with you. This, over the last while, there have been some marriage situations, people coming to us, and we just don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if Solomon could figure out how to figure some of the situations out. Because people are profoundly complex, aren't they? And, they, and there's emotions and all sorts of things tied in them. And I, I just can't seem to unravel it at all. And so when the... They come, or maybe just a husband comes to me, and I say, look, I, I don't know what to tell you, but let's pray. And we've just gone down, and we've just spent time in prayer. We've gone down to our knees, and we've prayed, like that song we sang. I, as I bow down, I rise up with confidence. Friends, it's an incredible gift that God has given us, that we can go to Him with prayer about anything. 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 Like, 
And instead of dwelling along the things that cause anxiety, turn that into prayer. When the anxiety comes, say, I'm going straight to my knees to pray. Let the anxiety be the alarm clock that sends you to prayer. The enemy is going to stop coming to harass you with that anxiety because he's sick and tired of you praying and accomplishing things and destroying his kingdom. And so I want to exhort you. You may have seen prayers not being answered. God is a, a prayer answering God. Be like that persistent widow. Knock and knock and knock. And get the justice and the breakthrough and everything else that you want. The second thing is that Linda's reminded us of this morning is gratitude. Let every entreaty we bring before, the God, before God, every appeal we make be salted with gratitude. It gives us a completely different perspective when we come in that way. When somebody comes in, imagine somebody comes to you and all they do is just start laying down moans upon you. Like you got this guy's attitude is just... Like it's negative. I know where his mindset is. You can see him. He's spiraling downward even as he's talking to you. But then somebody else comes in and says, I've got this problem, but, I've, but I just want to first of all start by just being, I just want to thank you for the time that you've set aside for me. I'm so grateful that I've got somebody that I can talk to. And, and um, like you didn't need to make the time, but you've made some time for me. And, um, and, I, and I feel so blessed by the fact that you care enough to listen to what I'm saying. Uh, and then he begins to tell you about the problem. You know with that person, that thing's going to begin to work this way and begin to bring deliverance. And, um, and w- one of the things that God calls to do is to come and remember what he has done. See, when you're thanking him, it's not for the things that he's still going to do, though we might do that. I thanking him is for what he's already done. Like Linda said this morning, I thank you, Lord, that I am saved. Like maybe you're facing a major crisis, but Lord, like no matter what else, you give me or never give me nothing compared to the gift of my salvation, my eternal life. Um, when we were praying for, for Morgan, when we, Morgan had a situation last week and we were taking her to the hospital, um, I was reminded as I was in the car that, that uh, Morgan has been through some serious battles before and she's an incredible woman of faith and she has trusted God and God has come through before. And I was reminding God, I was saying, God, Thank you for the times in the past where you've healed her. Why would you not do it again? And so the past actions of God are a memorial and a testimony that we use, and we, we use those things to, to, to once again inquire for prayer. I'm needing to move on. Thirdly, think about. The, when, we, when you consider the world that we live in, and even the churches, when you start to think about Um, some of the things, the teachings that are coming out of churches and some of the things fellow believers are saying, this quote by Harry Vlamiris in um, Recovering the Christian Mind stands out. (laughs) It says this, the Christian mind has succumbed to the secular drift with the degree of weakness and nervelessness unmatched in Christian history. How's that? The Christian mind has succumbed to the secular drift. We've, we've begun to believe what's out there. I, d- I don't know why. Maybe it's because social media is so prevalent and all over the place and we, we get exposed to it so much. But what the world believes about things, whether it's about abortion, whether it's about sex before marriage, whether it's about our sexuality, our identity, the church is giving into those things with a, with a weakness, weakness and a nerveless, what do you say? Nervelessness. A lack of courage. We've just given into it. Our, our thought life is being taken over by the enemy. Um, there's a kid song that goes like this, and it says, Careful little eyes, what you see. Careful little ears, what you hear. And, um, 
And the, the, it ends with this line. After it goes, it sings it over and over again. It ends with this careful little mind, what you think. What comes through our eye gates and what goes through our ear gates begins to affect the, w- the way that we think. And the way that we think begins to affect the way that we live our lives. And friends, we are, our, our thinking is flooded by all sorts of things. How's your thought life been this week? What, is, what have been the major inputs? Has it been Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or this news webpage or that news webpage or Twitter or this book you've been reading? You've got to understand that those things are influencing the way that we see everything all the time. I often remark, so say for example, generously I preach for an hour a week. That would mean that you get 52 hours of preaching to you in the whole year. We can get that in, in a couple of weeks of social media and watching TV and watching movies and things like that. And so we've got this assault on our thoughts. We have to be so conscious as to the way that we're thinking. Pay attention, Paul says, to the way that you're thinking. Whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, think about these things, dwell on these. The other day I, was, I came into the office here and I was, I was, we'd been going through these battles and I was, I was feeling slightly overwhelmed, I have to be honest, my my brain was all over the place, and I, um, and I went into the mother's room upstairs. Hello, mothers, in the mother's room, and I, um, and I put my noise-canceling headphones on. Best invention ever on the planet. That thing's amazing. Um, so I put them in, shut out the world, shut the door, and began to play a song. I hadn't heard the song before. It had popped up, and I just went and listened to it, and it was a Christ-exalting song. And it began to order my mind. It began to settle my soul again. Because it's a form of meditation. And J.R. Packer says that meditation is um, an activity of holy thought. Actually, um, one of my children has been going through a tough time the last couple of days. And I sent this song to my child. I'm not going to tell you which one. (laughs) Trying to keep the identity. I'll change their names. The child's name is um, Jeffrey. (laughs) And so I sent Jeffrey. uh, I I said to Jeffrey, "Just, um, just... Take some time quietly, play the song, listen to the words, and let it wash over your soul. That's what happens. We've got we, we to focus on the things that are pure. And what does it start off with? The things that are true, whatever is true. And friends, we've got so much falsehood, so many lies that, we, that are being spoken over us all the time. Continue. I'm not talking about like the extreme things, like you can choose your gender. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the thing that will make you happy is if you get a boyfriend, or the thing that will make you happy is if you get a wife, or this or the next thing like that. Those things are, those are not true. And so we get flooded with them. We've got to have the truth go over us. One of the best ways we can do it is by spending time in the Word of God. Not just reading it, not just getting through your days reading, but allowing the Scripture to saturate your soul, memorizing Scripture. I can remember 28 years ago, memorizing this Scripture. That was me 28 years ago. I was a blonde little boy. No, it's not me at all. Of course it's not. Um, But it's from Philippians 4, um, verse 6 and 7, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in, but, uh, (laughs) I remember it well, eh? But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Friends, I have quoted that scripture to myself a thousand times in those 20 years. I've shared it with other people a thousand times in 28 years. It is inside of me. It adjusts my thinking all the time. And you've got to, it's, it's not good enough 
to come once a week and listen to the word being preached. It's not even good enough to read a few scriptures in the morning. You've got to let the scriptures be alive inside of you and fill you. And lastly, we put it into practice, Paul says. What you've, what you've, received, what you've learned and received, heard and seen, put into practice. About 10 years ago, 8 years ago, um, a, f- a friend of mine by the name of Wayne Jones, he used to be an elder here, gave me a very weird birthday gift. It was an entry into a 10K run. It was a Nike night run. And um, you don't, you, many of you will have known, but some of you wouldn't have known me 10 years ago. I was, I was slightly larger. <laughs> and uh, I was in no condition to be running anything, to be quite honest. And he gave this to me, and I thought, oh, well, this is good. This is a good motivation for me to get fit. And I've got a month and a half, and I'll get myself trained up for it. Um, and then Linda actually phoned me and said, so are you ready for that race next week? And I said, not next week, it's next month. She goes, no, no, it's next week. And I looked at the ticket, it was next week. I had one week to get ready to run a 10K run. And um, anyway, I went and did this thing. But as I'm crossing the finish line, like I actually literally had to stop by the bushes and throw up before I ran across the finish line. That's how completely out of my depth I was. Now, I want you to imagine if I entered you into a, a marathon. I said, you guys are going to run a 42K marathon. Some of you are runners and you go, bring it on, Rob, I'm ready for it. But most of us are going, are you insane? I'm not ready to 42 kilometers. And um, what would it take for you to get ready for that? It would take deliberate choices. So by the time you get upon that start line, you can actually accomplish what you set out to do. It would require you to get up early and run longer and longer distances. You would have to go through the muscle adaptation so that your, your body can actually carry you through that whole thing. You'd have to push your limits compared to where you are. And you would need, every time you open the fridge, you wouldn't just be looking at that. What have you got in your fridge, Johnny? Donuts. You wouldn't just be looking at those donuts thinking lunch. You'd be thinking, no, no. What can I eat that will nourish me and energize me so that I can be ready for it? And it's this kind of thought that Paul has in mind when he says, I want you to do it. It's not like we can be running a marathon straight away, but we've got to increasingly take those steps so that we can put into practice what we've heard. And over the series, you've, you've heard many things. And the Bible says um, that, that we've actually got to, that we've got to receive that seed and produce a harvest 30, 60, and 100-fold. It's not okay, friends, if we sit in church for six months and we don't change. Something's gone wrong. It's not okay for me. It's 100% not okay for me to preach for six months and not be changed by the words that I've studied and preached to you. And that's why, Paul, that's why we're reminded to practice what we preach. But friends, we've got to practice what we hear preached as well. We've got to practice it is what Paul's saying. And so he says, you've learned it and you've received it. And so it's gone from head knowledge to revelation. That journey, actually that one foot journey from the head into the heart is often the longest journey in, in um, laying a hold of it. And so Paul says, I wanted to go from, you know it. Of course we must remember. I know about communion. But have you allowed it to sit into your heart as a revelation that whenever you come to that table, there's power. Every time you come to the table of the Lord, there's power available. If I'm sick, I want to go to that table. If I've got relationships that are strained, I want to go to the table. If I'm um, walking in any sort of fear or any sort of condemnation or guilt, I want to go to the table. I have a revelation about the table. When I put my, my tithe envelope into that basket there, I come because it's a revelation. This will not have control of my life. When, I, when I'm struggling to actually put the money into the envelope and thinking about the other things that I can do with it, revelation, not head knowledge, 
revelation. So I practice it because a revelation has come. Paul says, he says he's given us living examples. Paul says, I, you've seen it in my life. I'm not, I'm not writing to you just about things that are theoretical. I lived in, in Acts. He, he says to the Ephesian elders, you know the way I lived among you the whole time I was with you. You, you can see it. And I've, you, you know that I'm perfectly free to share the struggles that I go with and my own weaknesses, the times in our, in our marriage relationship, perhaps where Lynn and I have clashed with each other or my own temptations into sin, times where I've been overcome by sin and had to repent of those things. Not, not everything in my life I want you to imitate. But as I follow Christ, you follow me. And as the other elders follow Christ, you follow them. And as your connect group leaders follow Christ, and as other mature believers in the faith follow Christ, you do it as well. We say, Lord, how can I, how can I get through this situation? Well, look at the sister that's getting through that situation. Look at the brother that's still got the peace and the joy in the midst of the trial and the challenge that they're facing. And that's what Paul's saying. Follow in their footsteps. That's why God puts us into community.